your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. All right, welcome to finally Friday of Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Tregoski is on with me. Uh, Tregoski, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to defend yourself as I uh, I cut up the Ron Kine interview I had Wednesday, and he kind of a little bit put us in our place a little bit with with uh, his his the idea that he's going to retire. Yeah, he did put us in our place a little bit, Rick, and I think understandably so. He didn't want to answer questions about his political future. I think one thing he said that caught my eye was he called you a political junkie. I I, I mean, do you think that you've reached political junkie status at this point? I'm not sure yet, but... Before we before we do dive into that, we have to dive into what we've been diving into at the beginning of the show all week and what we're going to dive into Thursday alone only with our very close significant others is uh Thanksgiving feast Thanksgiving dinner. Now, I brought a, I brought up a a, a a controversial topic when it comes to what goes on the uh, Thanksgiving Day table every day. But I want to read. I want to bring one back because when I talked to Ron Kind, I didn't get to, to. I didn't get to talk about this one very much, and this one is very near and dear to you: the green marshmallow fluff pistachio uh, salad, quote unquote salad. One of my favorites. It'll go right next to the turkey on the plate, and I'll mix them. I don't care. I'll mix them together. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure about that, Rick. You know, I save it for dessert. So I I listened with great interest to your talk with Mike Hayes yesterday, and I I felt pretty vindicated that the host of Cooley Region Cooks endorses this particular dish for the Thanksgiving buffet. Yeah, But But I, I do have to differ with both you and Mike in the sense that I eat it as a dessert item. Yeah, and I don't crazy. include it with the main meal. Yeah, I don't know what you... you that is not a dessert, it's a salad. In fact, it might be even considered <laughs> an appetizer, something you eat before you eat to get you more hungry. Well, Rick, it's so good that I just like to save the best for last. So, and I, by the way, Rick, I eat that food year round also. Oh, so, really? like, I, it's not just a Thanksgiving thing for me. Like, when I see that at festival, I'm all over it. I was going to say. It's July or February. I was going to say, at festival, if I see the cherry fluff, I actually get it. Although it's like six, seven bucks a pound. It's kind of expensive. Kind of light, too. So, you know, you kind of, it, it, it takes a lot to get it to a pound, but I'm buying a pound. And uh, so you, you don't have, like, the wife make it or you don't make it yourself. Well, we do make it sometimes, but uh, I got to say, you know, Festival does a pretty good job. with. And besides, Rick, I mean, they make it year-round, so you can enjoy this wonderful treat every month of the year. You're right, it is expensive, but, it, I mean, it doesn't feel like you're eating anything that's, like, super bad for you because it's so light and because, I mean, you can just get, like, a huge container of it that is, like, a pound, as you said. Yeah, and it's got those, um, uh, what do they call like, Marciano cherries. So that's basically, uh, have you ever re- watched a documentary or anything on how those things are made? No, I haven't. No, they're just, uh, they're drained of everything good. Uh, d- they're, then they're, the, uh, everything sucked out of them, so they turn gray. And then they're dipped into like this red sugar water of corn syrup so that they turn red and look really nice. <laughs> so you're just eating basically sugar balls. 
Uh, I mean, is that is that why they're so delicious? <laughs> yes, that's why they're so delicious. That's why when <laughs> if I ever go to the bar and get a drink, it's I'm like, can I have like nine of those cherries too? And you know, when we used to go to bars and when bartenders used to give you those, they just reach in there with their hand and like stick them on you know, like a toothpick or something, one of them plastic umbrellas and put them in. But now we, uh, I don't know if bars are doing that. I don't know if the uh, the trough of limes and lemons and cherries, that probably isn't going to exist anymore in life, right? No, I, I would be a little reluctant to dip into the trough of cherries and limes, Rick. And heck, I don't even remember the last time I was at a bar. That had to be—I that had to be in what I like to call the, the before times, the before this all hit the fan. So, like last winter. So, I don't even have a specific memory of the last time I was even at a bar. Yeah, you, I mean, as a political science professor, are you going in, in normal times again uh, on election night? Are you going to watch election night at a bar or anything like that? Or do you need to be I know it was different this year, but do you need to be uh, locked into a laptop and, and just at, ready at arms to 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 dive into all this information? Uh, we were locked into our laptops, Rick. We uh, we reserved the bar for happy hour with with colleagues where we discuss as you might expect, politics. So, uh, you know, I guess we don't really get away from politics. But, yeah, we hit up the bar uh, to go and, and have some drinks after, you know, dealing with a semester of a pandemic. Now, okay, so we're, we're good with the fluff. You like to eat it as, as dessert. I like to eat the green pistachio cherry marshmallow fluff right with my meal. I don't, I don't uh, on purpose mix it with the mashed potatoes and the turkeys. But if it gets mixed in there a little bit, I will scoop some mashed potato. It's got a little fluff on it. I'm good. I'm just going to eat it. Um, but w- this brings me to the, my, my, my topic for today in, when it comes to Thanksgiving. What is Thanksgiving Day dessert? Is it pumpkin pie? Is there cheesecake? Are, uh, what, what can and can't be? Because I would say that the, the green salad is not dessert. That's main course. You're going to differ there. But what would be Thanksgiving Day dessert then? Well, I think you'd have to go with pie, right, Rick? I mean, especially those pies that are particularly common during the fall months. So I would say uh, pumpkin pie for sure. I know many people enjoy an apple pie and, and a pecan pie, but I, I got to say, Rick, you know, I lived in the South for five years when I was doing grad school, and the pecan pie there was, like, almost inedible because it was so <laughs> sweet. So I guess it was, like, too oh. much for my Midwestern taste buds to handle. But I think that pie is definitely the dessert of choice. So I will say, you know, I, I love I love a pistachio fluff any time of year, just like I love a cheesecake any time of year. So I could go with that as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, cheesecake, I'll do it. I don't actually like pie, so pumpkin pie is just nothing but cheesecake is a whole different that's a whole different animal all right we're gonna before we go to the news uh eric from sparta is calling eric go ahead you're on the air yeah i must say your program today is more sickening than most it's unbelievable what a great work you guys are doing you're getting you got with you too thanks a lot all right thanks a lot eric i appreciate the call always uh very very uplifting on a friday (laughs) (laughs) eric eric should be in a better mood on friday yeah well i don't think eric has anywhere to go any day so maybe he's you know every day days all blend together maybe every day is a friday for eric but i appreciate uh (laughs) i appreciate you know uh 
I, I try to get the light stuff like fluff out of the way so that we can dive into, you know, Rudy Giuliani talk and uh, uh, hair sweat. <laughs> and, and if you if we want a li- like a little bit of a tease, not only did Rudy Giuliani like his hair dye sweat down his face to make him look like, I, I don't know, Morticia or something like that. But there was an there was also a scene where he blew his nose into a napkin folded it where you would think you fold the snotty side inside. He folded it the other way. So the snot was on the outside and then Rudy Giuliani wiped his forehead with that and then wiped his mouth. It is on video. You can go on Twitter and watch it. Um, I'll just leave you. This is not going to improve Eric from Sparta's opinion of the disgustingness of this show, by the way. (laughs) Oh, am I doubling down on disgusting? Unbelievable. You're doubling down. Unbelievable. All right, we got to go. Well, speaking of disgusting, Brad Williams doing the news. We'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to Disgusting Talk PM. Dr. Anthony Chagoski, UW Lacrosse political science professor, joining me like he does most Fridays. And I'm Rick Solom. Uh, we'll dive right into some more. Uh, let's just dive into politics a little bit here. The the Wisconsin State Legislature, led by the GOP, the GOP, the Republicans, uh, actually had a conversation with Evers. This is the first time in six and a half months that they've talked, like Voss and Evers have talked, Chagoski? Yeah, that's right, Rick. It's the first time since May that Robin Voss, the Assembly leader, the the, the Speaker of the Assembly and Tony Evers have had direct talks with each other. And, and like six months is a remarkable streak to go just in like normal circumstances. I mean, like if there wasn't a disaster going on, if we were just living out our normal lives, I would still find it odd if they went six and a half months without talking. But we're in the middle of a huge crisis here. And so you know, Rick, and we were talking about this, how normally uh, it's just not even newsworthy or interesting to say, well, the governor and the speaker of the state assembly had a conversation today. But it actually does become newsworthy when that has not been happening for over six months. And so what will happen next? Will we get some movement on a coronavirus uh, legislative package at the state legislative level in Madison. And certainly Tony Evers has unveiled a proposal. Robin Voss has not a specific proposal, but certainly some ideas. And then the some members of his party in the state Senate seem to have other ideas. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of agreement to be found. But again, I mean, just the fact that they're talking seems to be newsworthy at this point. Yeah, that's a sad state to be in because it makes talk radio pretty boring when we're just talking about people talking. I will say, Chagoski, I did get a text from Angie. She says, with all the fraud discovered, I can't believe you're talking about Rudy Giuliani sweating, exclamation point. And then some emojis that my text doesn't recognize. So some squares. I got some some rectangle emojis. And then uh, you're a joke, but no exclamation point. So um, I, how much fraud have we discovered? I, I feel like uh, we're one for 25 on lawsuits here, Donald Trump's lawsuits. Well, yeah, I mean, like the Trump legal team has not had great success in terms of its challenges to state elections. And we recently, I mean, just hours ago, had Georgia certify its results. And claim, and just saying the fact that Joe Biden won the state of Florida, the first Democrat to carry the state of Florida since 1992. So 
we also have the recount here ongoing in Madison and in Milwaukee. So uh, some loose ends to tie up, certainly, but we're really heading toward a conclusion where the Electoral College elects Joe Biden, and we really don't see credible resistance from the Trump legal team. Yeah, what is the strategy? Is he just trying to raise money for his campaign? Is and we we keep this hope alive, the quote unquote fraud, just so that people feel inclined to oh, Trump's trying to uncover all the fraud because he lost. We better help him by sending him money for the campaign, so he eventually can pay the city of Lacrosse Police Department. <laughs> well, Rick, I've heard conflicting reports on this. You know, some reporters who are looped into the White House have said that Trump is coming around to the fact that he has lost this election and he's sort of resigned to that fact and that it's sinking in. But on the other hand, you also have some reports saying that, you know, Rudy Giuliani still has Donald Trump's ear and other members of his legal team still have his ear saying that there is hope that they should fight on and and talking about sort of these allegations of voter fraud, which, you know, so far have just been rejected by the courts. And so today you have the remarkable sight of Donald Trump summoning leaders of the Michigan state legislature to the White House in hopes that maybe they could do something about the results in Michigan. But the fact is that Donald Trump lost Michigan by quite a lot. So I don't know what they can do. And I don't know really anything that Donald Trump can do at this point to change the way this election has turned out. Yeah, the one one of the stories that I read is he was I don't know if you want to call it harassing, but going after county board members in in some Michigan county. Um, and I just I, I was like, man, what if that happened here? Like, because Lacrosse County went for Biden, right? Like this, you've, we very well could conceive Lacrosse County being lumped into these. Uh, you know, if he wanted to spend more money recounting ballots, but uh, and then like Gary Podesky, he's a guy that he, he often calls in the show. Gary Podesky is on the phone with Donald Trump in, in getting harassed about trying to uh, overturn or throw out ballots in Lacrosse County. It's just kind of mind boggling. Yeah, Rick, and it's obviously no coincidence which uh, which counties were selected by the Trump campaign for this partial recount. Of course, you pick the largest counties that went blue. You went for Milwaukee County and Dane County. But if you're just looking for errors in the vote count, it's extremely rare to see the vote count change by more than 100, 200 votes. I mean, my guess coming out of this recount is that you'll see a couple votes maybe change. You'll see the margin slightly change in one direction or another. But we're talking about a state that Donald Trump lost by over 20,000 votes. So there are not going to be any errors found that amount to that margin. Hence the trying to get 69,000 ballots just thrown out. Your votes don't count in in Dane County. Yeah, this idea that, you know, people were requesting or filling out these absentee ballots improperly. And, Rick, what I think the goal there is, is to tee up a legal challenge to how absentee voting was conducted in Wisconsin, to how early voting was conducted in Wisconsin. Like I said, I mean, you know, you might see the margin shift by like 30 or 40 votes in either direction following this partial recount. But I think the broader goal here is to tee up a legal challenge to how the election was conducted in the state of Wisconsin.
It's funny how, how things work in society now. When the pandemic hit, we all immediately became epidemiologists, right? We all immediately became experts on uh, airborne viruses. And now when the election is over, we immediately become election commission specialists on all the laws <laughs> in and out on how how the ballots work. Like, oh, my gosh. I filled my ballot out wrong, and then the the person there was like, "Hey, by the way, you need to you know check mark this or sign or date. You didn't date this, so you you just here here's a pen or whatever. Um, no, you can't do that. Like the idea that we want people's votes to be thrown out because they didn't sign it correctly or didn't hit you know put the correct date on is just ludicrous. Well, Rick, and that gets back to you know the legal challenges that I think the Trump campaign is trying to tee up, you know, like if uh, an envelope wasn't sealed correctly or if a signature is missing, you know, is that grounds to throw a ballot out? And I think what's going to happen is that the, the, the recount in Milwaukee and Madison will, will run its course and you'll see a very minimal shift in the margin. And then from there, we'll see what kind of a legal challenge the Trump team comes up with on, on some of those issues that you mentioned. Does this thing eventually go to the Wisconsin Supreme Court or the Supreme Court? And what what month will we uh, will we have word of that? I, I think it just remains to be seen, Rick. You know, I, I'm waiting for these recounts to be finished because, I, again, I can almost guarantee that a lawsuit by the Trump campaign is coming after the conclusion of these recounts. And I can imagine that the courts are going to deal with it in an expeditious manner because the Electoral College is meeting quite soon and, and the official vote will take place quite soon. So uh, it's not going to be long before Joe Biden gets those 270 electoral votes officially, as long as nothing truly nutty happens. All right, we're going to go to the phones here. I believe this is caller. Who is this? Hey, this is Andy. Hey, Andy, go ahead. You're on the air, man. Hey, so um, I was like listening. I was through a lot of talk radio, and I kind of ran across something interesting. Um, and it was something called, and I wonder if our uh, political friend knows about it. Uh, it was something called Benford's Law. And it's basically like uh, a tool that they use in like taxation um, to try and find if uh, like accounts are like uh, cooked, like if the books are cooked in, uh, for a business. They can tell if there's like a human influence basically in it by the amount of one, two, threes versus seven, eights, and nines. There's like a natural preference in the, this is going to sound weird, but there's a natural preference in the universe for ones, twos, and threes as opposed to seven and eights and nines recurring in like large sets of data. And although the first, and this is like a significant digit tool, and so the first significant digit doesn't really apply here, but in the radio show, because of its uh, human uh, constructed, and these things exist for natural numbers. So uh, the guy, when I was listening to this radio show, it was uh, w- Radio Lab by WNYC. They, uh, this guy ran it on the second digit, the second significant digit, and he said it confirmed that the uh, results were natural, not human influence, or at least likely to not be. All right, Tregoski, any any idea there? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm not familiar with this specific episode, but I can say that 
you know, what the caller is saying is, is right in the sense that there has been no credible evidence uncovered to demonstrate that the results were at all manipulated after the fact or that there was widespread voter fraud. I mean, you know, imagine what an implausible James Bond style operation this would be, right? I mean, it would, it would take multiple tech companies, numerous elected officials. It would take, uh, you know, thousands of local elections officials. So there'd have to be so many people in on a plot to, you know, rig the election in either direction. And I think that can give Americans great confidence in the integrity of our elections. And that's not to say that our elections are perfect. They're they're far from perfect. Does but James Bond in terms use, of evidence of widespread fraud, we just don't have that. Is James Bond using like his watch to like shoot stuff at the voters, or how, what, how is he how is he doing that? Well, well, I don't know, Rick, but I, I think that would be a pretty dull installment into the James Bond series. Like he's just at the he's at you know Dane County as people are going in the vote, and he's like he's take, he's picking off uh, you know people that look like they're going to vote for Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that that would be a box office hit, Rick. I, well, I, I'm sorry to say that. Well, you brought up the analogy, James Bond type technology. I was just trying to elaborate a little bit. I guess maybe he uses his car that turns into a boat somehow. <laughs> Look, you know, maybe we should get together and just write a screenplay for this, Rick. You well, know, I don't know. I mean, we've had a we've we've, we've had complaints about the show. Maybe we should just go into screenwriting. I feel like it's a better analogy would be, is it like Space Odyssey 2000 with the, is it HAL? Remember that computer? Hello, Dave. Yeah. That that computer is the computer that's, um, you know, rigging the election for Joe Biden. That HAL or L or whatever right. that computer. It's a 1968 movie. I was uh, zero, negative 10 years old at that. But yes, HAL. I Googled it, HAL. Are you familiar with that one? Uh, Rick, there's just no credible evidence out there of computer hacking or of, you know, the results being manipulated. So just to go back to the caller's point, I mean, the, the, the I, I'm not sure about this specific podcast, but the caller is absolutely correct that, um, you know, if, if there were widespread evidence, if there were evidence of widespread voter fraud or widespread manipulation of the results, then... It certainly hasn't come out yet, and I'm not saying it won't. I mean, I wouldn't count anything out in 2020, but uh, it hasn't come out yet. All right. we got to take a break. Uh, Anthony Jagoski, UW lacrosse political science professor, is going to stay on hold here because his favorite part of the show, Scott's Comet coming up, Brad doing the news. We'll be back after this. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. <laughs> Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. Just listening to a movie from 1968. That's the computer Hal from Space Odyssey. What is it? 2000, something like that. Uh, rigging the election for Joe Biden. Dr. Anthony Tragoski, UW Lacrosse Political Sciences scientist, on with us. Uh, have you ever seen that movie, Tragoski? Yeah, I have. It doesn't look very good. I remember trying to watch it. I think I feel like it's a little too slow. It's very opposite James Bond movie. Yeah, it, it is pretty slow, Rick. I, and I, I don't know how well it honestly holds up today, you know, because I haven't seen it in several years. Um, somebody texted in, we need to come up with a song to end your show like Mitch did. Um, anyone got any ideas? I don't I don't have any ideas. Uh, Mitch always ended, he always began the show with like a very pop music, like very 
on the radio a hundred times a day that month song. I can't remember what it was, but then like two months later, Mitch was like, man, I probably should have picked a, a better song. So, but yeah, he ended the show with closing time. I remember that, but uh, yeah, I don't have a show. I just end the show. Um, 608-785-7914. Like I said, we're on with UW Lacrosse Political Science Professor Dr. Anthony Jagoski. Uh, Jagoski, Scott's calling in. and let's, let's see what Scott has to say. Scott, go ahead. You're on the air. Yes, um, just wanted to at least present this this side of what I what I observe or what I have kind of observed during this election cycle is that I think there as I, I was an election judge back in DuPage County, Illinois, and there are instances where ballots do need to be tossed aside. I mean, if there is irregularities. They should not be counted. I mean, that's just the way it was, at least when I was walking back and forth behind the people counting, and when somebody brought something to my attention, we had to discount the ballot. It's just because that is the law. So I don't know if that's how we're going to look at this or not. I I don't understand um, if there were instances where judges weren't allowed to observe or I don't know. I just want to make sure that if there is ballots that are not legitimate, that they do get discounted. All right. Thanks, Scott, for the call. Um, yeah, for the first time ever, this is the, the first time ever, Sixty, you know, 60,000 ballots here, 50,000 ballots here. They're all incorrect. That's how this is seeming to play out. It's the first time ever, Tchaikovsky, that it's happened. Well, I completely agree with the sentiment that Scott is saying, right? I mean, like, if if ballots are just, like, butchered in terms of how they're filled out, if you can't discern the intent of the voter, if you can't, you know, verify that, you know, they, they were supposed to, that they had the right documentation to be voting, if you can't verify that it's a validly cast ballot, then, of course, you know, for the integrity of the election, that ballot has to be thrown aside. And I think to allay Scott's concerns, you know, I'm not aware of any situations in Wisconsin where uh, there were complaints about being denied uh, the ability to observe uh, the, the vote processing by both parties. And, and indeed, both parties do observe the processing of the votes. So, you know, I, I think that in Wisconsin, I don't have great concern about that um, because I haven't heard about, you know, any issues with, you know, being denied the opportunity to observe the process, nor have I heard about, you know, any issues related to like tons of ballots being suspicious or tons of ballots not being filled out correctly or tons of ballots being invalid or anything like that. So, I mean, I completely agree with what Scott is saying, and I share his concern. And I think that we can take comfort in the fact that I haven't haven't really heard a whole lot of problems in Wisconsin related to what Scott is saying. All right, so we, we can move on from from the whole idea. I mean, that's, that's all we want is that we just want more attention drawn to the thing that's not actually happening. It's kind of like uh, ignoring the fact that there's a pandemic, like the uh, the Wisconsin state legislature has done for seven months. Um, but moving on, you 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 sent me this this kind of tweet thread from a from one of the doctors in on Ron Johnson's hydroxychloroquine uh, House Senate. What, what is it called, Senate? Uh, 
What's yeah, he, the Senate he, Homeland Security Committee. Yeah, so Ron Johnson, the head of the Senate Homeland Security Committee, is having a hearing on hydro, hydroxychloroquine. What 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 is going on? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, I think it did come as a surprise to me, Rick, when I saw that because. I, I kind of was under the impression that the issue of hydroxychloroquine had been dropped, that it was something that President Trump brought up back in the spring. It was something that was widely talked about and widely debated back in the spring. And so it did come up as a surprise to see Ron Johnson uh, initiate this hearing about the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine as a way to prevent uh, COVID-19. Now, did you think that you, so here's my theory is Ron Johnson is of that age where he's using Facebook. At some point in time, he saved a hydroxychloroquine article about two to five months ago and Facebook today notified him, hey, Ron, you have an unopened uh, link that you haven't looked at. And he clicked on it and he just saw this hydroxychloroquine article and he's like, what? What's going on? Not realizing that this story is five months old. And then he decided to use his power in the Homeland Security office to to uh, to have a, a, a hearing on it for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, again, the timing does really come as a surprise because right now the focus is all about this fantastic news with regard to the development of vaccines. We've got some promising vaccine candidates, plus you listen to the public health experts, the medical experts, and they say that there's some progress as far as uh, as as far as treatments are concerned, as far as, you know, ways to prevent uh, death or ways to prevent the worst possible outcomes. Uh, so, you know, you're seeing progress on therapeutics, you're seeing progress on vaccines. And, and so it, it did kind of come out of left field to see this uh, hearing and this renewed discussion about hydroxychloroquine. So what's next week for Ron Johnson? Probably Hunter Biden talk, something Hunter Biden, right? <laughs> Well, that was a big focus of his committee prior to the election, Rick. Uh, and I don't think it got the attention that he wanted. I don't think it got the traction that he wanted. Hunter Biden ended up being basically a footnote in this election. But, yeah, you know, that that was certainly a major emphasis of Ron Johnson's committee prior to the election. Sounds like Ron Johnson. Here, I'm reading the New York Post article here. Uh, the Senate Republicans who led the investigation to Hunter Biden's work in the Ukraine are not planning on slowing down when President-elect Joe Biden takes office, while Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee Chairman Ron Johnson and Senate Finan- Finance Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley are both leaving their committee chairmanships due to term limits. The two will continue their work. Uh, that's after Chuck Grassley recovers from COVID, and I think Ron Johnson has already recovered. Yeah, that's right, Rick. But, you know, you already do have to wonder, and this is the partisan era in which we live, you know, with the Senate, with the Republicans most likely holding on to the majority in the United States Senate, I think a major emphasis is going to be conducting investigations. And more and more, we're seeing investigations being used for partisan purposes. Uh, that's certainly an increasing development over the last several decades in Congress, where investigations are tried, you know, you try to use an investigation to uh, damage the president or to uh, cause public opinion to turn against the president or to cause media coverage to turn against the president. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see what 
like the oversight strategy is and what angles these Republican senators take when they are conducting these investigations of Joe Biden. You know, do they stick with Hunter? Do they go on to something else? It remains to be seen, but no question that Joe Biden will be facing a significant number of investigations uh, just based on the era in which we live. We should do some investigations on how many, uh, you know, members of Congress and Senate are invested in stuff like Pfizer, uh, testing, uh, whatever companies are, are dole, you know, raking in money from how much testing we're doing. We could do that. But uh, let's just move from the Senate to the House. Uh, Ron, we, we were talking behind Ron Kine's back, Congressman Ron Kine's back a week ago. I had him on the show Wednesday uh, to just, you know, when we were, hey, Ron, uh, are you going to retire? This is, this is him uh, on Wednesday. You're a political junkie, I know, and, and so he's a, he's a poli-sci professor at UWL, so, I mean, you guys love those type of conversations, yeah. but, man, we just had a long campaign season. The last thing people want to hear is another campaign is, is about to uh, start, so maybe for the sake of our American psyche, we can just po- hit the pause button, let the elected reps try to do their job here, and then that campaign is going to be on us sooner than anyone wants anyway. So we were we were kind of speculating whether Ron Kind would retire or maybe maybe he'd run for Ron Johnson's seat. Uh, and Ron Kind's like, dude, can we just can we, can I actually start my term before I'm before I'm retiring? <laughs> no, I, I I totally get what he's saying, right? Like, and it is just the political junkies in us, Rick, that want to speculate, speculate, speculate on this stuff. And you know, there has been speculation for a long time about if Ron Kind would make a run for statewide office. Obviously, that hasn't happened. And certainly with redistricting coming up and his close election in this past November, it does raise questions about what his future holds. But I I appreciate where he's coming from. Like this next Congress has a lot of work to do. I, I mean, just look at the economic recovery and look at the distribution of this vaccine. That is going to be a tremendous uh, priority in 2021. You're going to have divided government, most likely, so that will make matters difficult. So, yeah, you know, it's going to be a tumultuous 2021 for sure. And, I mean, for that matter, it's going to be a tumultuous December in Congress because government funding expires on December 11th, and so a deal has to be reached to avoid a government shutdown. Yeah, watch the government start to get really grinding and, and right to work because they're go- the government's going to shut down. Oh, boy, now they're actually going to do some work. Right? If the government shuts down, do do people like Ron Kahn get paid? You know, I, I normally, they normally uh, as sort of like a public relations ploy, they say that their members of Congress like to say that they're not going to accept a paycheck during a government shutdown. Um, but, but, Rick, you know, I, I think that this is – This is a big moment coming up in Congress, because if you're looking for kind of the last major legislative action of the Trump administration, this is pretty much going to be it. And and this is just how Congress operates nowadays. You know, they set a deadline for something awful to happen. And then when that deadline approaches at the last minute, they make a deal. Then they set another deadline. Then at the last minute, they make another deal. And that's just how Congress does business nowadays. So I think that you're going to see this come right down to the wire. And I do ultimately think you're going to see a deal to keep the government open. The question is, you know, is the, are there COVID-related measures that are passed on top of that? And I'm not sure about that. But, you know, this is just the way that Congress operates these days, a very last-minute deadline beating by just a smidge type of Congress. 
I'm not sure if I'm a political junkie, but I know you are. And it, when we talk about this vaccine news, I made I made a joke a co- well, maybe a week ago about how the 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 uh, the presidential race was essentially called for Joe Biden. And then uh, Pfizer came out with, hey, by the way, we've got a vaccine, 90% effective, and now I think it's up to 95%. And I was like, well, that's pretty funny that it comes out right after the election. Is there any conspiracy theories here that the uh, the vaccine people were waiting until after the election, or maybe they had to wait until after the election? Because I feel like if this news happened a month before the election or a month, you know, maybe a couple of weeks before people really started mail-in voting, that we might have a different president if this, va- if this very upbeat 95% effective vaccine news came out earlier. Well, Rick, the odd thing about this election is that it's going to turn out to be a rather lopsided electoral college victory for Joe Biden. But the reason he was able to put together that lopsided electoral college margin was by winning very small popular vote margins in these swing states like Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. So if you if you shift a few votes in those states back to Donald Trump, you give him the majorities, you give him the electoral votes from those states, you could certainly imagine this election going a different way. And, and again, that is one of the peculiarities of the Electoral College that, you know, you shift a few thousand votes in Wisconsin, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, you just shift a few votes in the other direction. And all of a sudden, Joe Biden's landslide in the Electoral College becomes a Donald Trump landslide in the Electoral College. And then when you when you're talking about a vaccine, you're not, but I am. When you talk about a vaccine coming out, I I talked about the sh- on the show yesterday the idea if we just paid everyone two thousand dollars to stay home, the virus would go from seven thousand cases a day to maybe a, a few hundred or or less. Uh, you you brought up the idea before the show when we were talking. Uh, also, we should just pay everyone two thousand dollars to have a vaccine to get the vaccine. Yeah, I saw this tweet by John Delaney, the one of the sort of low-profile presidential candidates for the Democratic Party. And he he tweeted out this suggestion that I found interesting. What if you pay everyone $1,500 to get the COVID-19 vaccine? And his reasoning was that it would obviously serve the public health cause, plus it would stimulate the economy. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know if I agree with that, but I mean, I think I've heard crazier ideas. Yeah, they, I've, I've already heard apprehension about people wanting to get this vaccine. Um, but right. man, there won't be any apprehension of people taking 2000 bucks. All right, UWL political science professor, Dr. Anthony Jagowski, thanks for joining us again today. I'm going to let you go, and then we're going to wrap up the show. All right, thanks, Rick. All right. All right, we're going to take one more break. We'll be back uh, to wrap up. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. Just a minute to go. People were like, I need a closing song. This is my closing song. I just don't, I'm not organized enough. Mitch is a little bit was a little bit more organized after uh, I think a decade of doing the show where he he knew exactly how he wanted to end the show. He had a song, his song all played out. He had his his board just nice and perfect for him set up. Me, I'm uh, fumbling my way through the end of every show. If you can't tell, no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I like Buster Rhymes. This is my Buster Rhymes heading into the weekend show. Um, all right. Thanks again to UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Tregoski.